listening to Theology and Apologetics with Thomas Fretwell. Welcome to the Global News Update. This is the show bringing you cultural commentary from a biblical perspective. And I'm your host, Thomas Fretwell. I wish everyone a happy new year. And for those of you who follow, the news cycle has opened with a bang in 2020. We have lots of items that I want to consider today. So let's just jump straight in. The first thing that has really been in the news, dominating the news, in fact, is the the killing of Qasem Soleimani, the US killing of the uh, the leader of the Iranian Revolutionary Guard, Qasem Soleimani. Let me play you this first clip and we'll hear the news report. Iran says it will take revenge for the US killing of its most powerful military commander. General Qasem Soleimani died when his convoy was hit by a US drone at Baghdad airport. The general was the commander of the Quds Force of Iran's elite revolutionary guards. They're responsible for Iranian foreign military operations and answer directly to the country's supreme leader, Ayatollah Ali Khamenei. And this has obviously had reverberations around the world. And here is the UK Prime Minister, uh, Boris Johnson, addressing this during Parliament question time. Clearly, the, uh, the strict issue of legality is not for the UK to determine, since it was not our operation. But I think that uh, most reasonable people would accept that the United States has a right to protect its bases and its, and its personnel. And I would remind the House that the individual concerned, Qasem Soleimani, was not only, is, was not only responsible for many years, uh, amongst other things, arming the Houthis with missiles with which they uh, attacked innocent civilians, arming Hezbollah with missiles which, again, they used to attack innocent civilians, sustaining the Assad regime in Syria, one of the most brutal and barbaric regimes in the world, and, of course, supplying uh, improvised explosive devices to terrorists who, I'm afraid, killed and maimed British troops. That man had the blood of British troops on his hands. Now, many people uh, did not know the name Soleimani before uh, his assassination or his targeted killing, but he was the, the head of the, uh, the the IRG, the Iranian Revolutionary Guard, the Quds Force also, which is the part of the Iranian military that handles the guerrilla warfare. And if you read between the lines, you know what sort of activities that means. Um, he was killed on the 3rd of January 2020 by a US drone strike, and this was following uh, another round of violence that started with uh, an Iranian-backed militia's rocket attack on a US facility in Iraq that killed an American contractor. Um, there has been increased Iranian aggression in the region with uh, attacks on ships. And the, the final straw was really the, the targeted attack, again, by what's considered to be a, a Iranian a militia on the embassy in Baghdad. This was set on fire and for the US President Donald Trump this was the the final straw and he ordered the killing of Qasem Soleimani. Now Soleimani was considered to be the second in power really in uh, in Iran, only second to the supreme leader Ayatollah Khomeini. And Soleimani's forces were responsible for killing hundreds of Americans as well as other uh, attacks over the years on allies across the region. Middle East expert Jonathan Spire, a fellow of the Jerusalem Institute for Strategic Studies, said this. Between the Iraq-Iran border and the Mediterranean Sea, the Iranians have today access to around 200,000 armed militiamen, and that has largely to do with the last two decades of activity by one General Qasem Soleimani and those around him. And that's his legacy, and it's a profoundly potent legacy. 
One of the most well-known uh, uh, Iranian proxy organizations is the Lebanese-based terror group Hezbollah. They, uh, they are on the, the northern border with Israel there and they, they cause a lot of trouble. Also Hamas, Palestinian Islamic Jihad in Gaza and the West Bank are, are supported by Iran. Uh, there's also Shia militias in Iraq, Syria and Afghanistan. So the tentacles of Iran do reach a long way and the General Qassam Soleimani was the one at the head of this organization organization. So this is a big blow to the Iranian infrastructure there. Iran launched a series of uh, missiles at the Iraqi bases that were housing American troops in response to the killing. They, they obviously had to threaten a response to show that they were not weak, but they, they didn't actually kill anyone and there are reports even saying that they actually informed the uh, the American and allied bases that they were going to do this so it does seem like the whole exercise was a sort of saving face for their own people however a tragedy that occurred during this was that they accidentally shot down a Ukrainian airliner um, killing I think 176 people on board so that was a real tragedy of this event and it shows you the sort of level of competency that the Iranian military has. They are not uh, at all equipped to go to war with the United States military. However, one of the most interesting things to watch during this whole escapade is the reaction to the killing from many around the world. And obviously it was an American-led attack, so, so I'm looking at the responses in America primarily. It has really been spun in the most partisan way possible. Obviously American politics is very divided at the moment, very bipartisan, but there are certain people who hate the Trump administration and the foreign policy of the Trump administration so much that this event has really drawn them to the surface and you you can actually see they hate Trump administration so much they are willing to literally defend the trigger man for a theocratic dictatorship one of the worst ones in the world today. Let me give you some examples of this that have appeared in the press over the last week or so. The far-left filmmaker Michael Moore rushed to his Twitter account and he said this regarding Soleimani's funeral. He said, just wondering, is there an American general for whom millions of us would turn out for his funeral? Mad Dog Kelly, Powell, William Westmoreland. Can anyone even name the chair of the Joint Chiefs? We all support those who serve, but would we pour into the streets like this? He is apparently obviously amazed by the, uh, there was some video uh, news of the, you know, the thousands of people who attended Soleimani's funeral in Iran, but obviously he's fallen for the, uh, the media lies there. We now know that many of these people were obviously forced to go to this funeral. They were forced there businesses to close so people could attend as we often see happening in Iranian media these things were staged uh, the socialist representative uh, AOC Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez she said this uh, she prompted pro-Iranian propaganda on Twitter from Russian state media which falsely claimed that Iran does not kill civilians so she she retweeted obviously something from uh, the Russian state media which was basically pro-Iranian propaganda and we know again that is a lie now the Islamic regime was estimated to have killed over 1500 protesters in November alone we'll talk about those protests a little bit later on Representative Ilhan Omar, she attacked Trump for killing Soleimani, saying that she was outraged by this action, and even to the point that she was suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder from the event. 
Now, I, I, it's hard to say that seriously, really, but that is the situation that we have now. Now, perhaps the worst example came from CBS's Holly Williams. She described Soleimani as a revered figure, a war hero, and an inspirational military leader. Now, statements like that are just reprehensible. They're insulting to the thousands of people who have suffered brutally at the hands of the Soleimani regime. Um, this is, you may hear the term Trump derangement syndrome thrown around on the internet, uh, whether you agree with it or not. I think these sorts of comments are a very good example that people are willing to do and say ridiculous things because of their hatred for Trump. Uh, I don't think this is really because of the fact that they care for the Iranian people. If that was really the case, we would actually see some better reporting on things that are actually happening in Iran at the moment. So this event has caused more protests, but anti-government, anti-Khomeini protests have been going on in Iran for quite some time now. This, these are generally young people rising up who are fed up with the, the sort of stranglehold that this Islamic Republic has on their nation and on their livelihood. Let me play you this clip and we'll hear some of this uh, protest going on in Iran right now. Just hours after Iran's military admitted shooting down the passenger plane, the protest began. Thousands of mostly young people joined angry crowds in Tehran. And the protest continued last night too. And this is really showing now how uh, scared the Iranian regime is. Uh, many, many commentators and analysts have said that the regime is at its weakest point right now. The oppressed people of Iran have had enough and they are they are rising up at, at great risk to their own lives and we should be supporting uh, this rather than mourning the death of a terrorist leader. And I think as Christians now we want to just look at it through spiritual eyes. We need to be praying for the people of Iran. We know there are principalities and powers. Um, if you've ever seen pictures of Iran before the 79 Islamic takeover. Um, you'll see how free and, and how happy the people and the nation looked. The women could walk in the streets freely without, without uncovered. It's a very different Iran. I know many young people want those sorts of things to come back. I've also had reports that the church in Iran is actually one of the fastest growing churches right now. And this again is primarily led by women, the reports are saying. So this is something that we need to be committing to the Lord in prayer. This raises another question for us as Bible believers. What is the future of Iran? Is the events of the last uh, few weeks, is this prophetic? Does it have prophetic significance? Many Christians are asking this question. And we have to be very careful. I don't think we can point to this event and say this is a direct fulfillment of this chapter and this verse in the Bible. We must be very careful not to sensationalise headlines to try and make them fit our prophecy schemes. But having said that, we also do need to be aware that the Bible does say a lot about the future of Iran. Let me read to you Jeremiah chapter 49. Verse 34, it says this, That which came as the word of the Lord to Jeremiah, the prophet, concerning Elam. Now, Elam is one of the ancient names for the region of Persia that we call Iran today. It says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, I am going to break the bow of Elam, the finest of their might. I will bring upon Elam the four winds from the four ends of heaven and will scatter them to all these winds, and there will be no nation to which the outcasts of Elam will not go. So I will shatter Elam before their enemies and before those who seek their lives. Lives, and I will bring calamity upon them. Even my fierce anger declares the Lord, and I will send out the sword after them until I have consumed them. 
Then I will set my throne in Elam and destroy out of it kings and princes, declares the Lord. But it will come about in the last days that I will restore the fortunes of Elam, declares the Lord. So there is judgment prophesied for that nation in the future, but there is also, as always with God's judgment, the hope of restoration. And this, so this is one of the things we know about the future of Elam. Also in, chap, in Ezekiel chapters 37 and 38, we have what's known as the Gog and Magog confrontation. And this would seem to list uh, Iran as one of the nations that will form a confederacy against the nation of Israel in the last days at some point. Theologians debate whether this happens before the tribulation or whether this is coincides with the battle of armageddon uh, there's good scholars on both sides of that but again we know that iran will come against jerusalem and this may well be when the judgment of the lord happens on this issue let's move over now to the usa now, something that has made the headlines a lot in the last few days is the Ricky Gervais speech at the golden globe awards let me play you this clip so you can know what we're talking about a superb drama about the importance of dignity and doing the right thing made by a company that runs sweatshops in China. So, well, you say you're woke, but the companies you work for, I mean, unbelievable. Apple, Amazon, Disney. If ISIS started a streaming service, you'd call your agent. If you do win an award tonight, don't use it as a, a platform to make a political speech, right? You're in no position to lecture the public about anything. You know nothing about the real world. Most of you spent less time in school than Greta Thunberg. So, if you win, right, come up, accept your little award, thank your agent and your God. And as you hear that, I have to admit, I, I found this very satisfying to watch. And generally, I, I do not agree with Ricky Gervais on many things. I grew up watching some of his comedy shows. I, I appreciate his work in that area. But since then, he's become a very ardent and outspoken atheist, obviously, a lot of the time just offering very poor caricatures of Christian belief. And with that, he uses his comedy to mock, which is what comedians do. Um, so I, I don't go with him on that, but he has the right to do that. Uh, now, however, comedians do have a way of addressing the culture that maybe some people do not. And this was a very savage exposure of Hollywood hypocrisy. And apparently he gained over 300,000 new followers within 24 hours. He's now ranked top of the social climbers charts as both a comedian and an actor. Um, so it seems he really did just say what everyone else was thinking, which is why I think so many people enjoyed it. Um, the look of disbelief on the celebrity faces as he kind of burst the bubble that they live in, it just made for very good TV. However, there was one other speech at the Golden Globes that did stand out. I want you to listen to actress Michelle Williams now. Let's play this clip. I've tried my very best to live a life of my own making, and not just a series of events that happened to me, but one that I could stand back and look at and recognize my handwriting all over, sometimes messy and scrawling, sometimes careful and precise, but one that I had carved with my own hand, and I wouldn't have been able to do this without employing a woman's right to choose. So what you have here is basically her admission that the right to choose, as she says it, let's be honest about this, to talk about the abortion issue, the fact that she was able to kill a baby in the womb, allowed her to continue her career to get where she is today. Now, we could say a lot about this. I, I, to be honest, I can't think of anything more morally depraved than a society that cheers for this sort of behavior. Now, the biblical worldview 
has always stood against this practice. It did in the first century when it was commonplace in the Roman Empire, as it does today. So really, may we be known as a people that do not kill their young or their old. This is what Christianity has always stood for. Let me read you a quote from a second century theologian named Tertullian. He said this, In our case, murder being once for all forbidden, we may not destroy even the fetus in the womb, while as yet the human being derives blood from other parts of the body for its sustenance, to hinder a birth is merely a speedier man killing. Nor does it matter whether you take away a life that is born or destroy one that is coming to the birth. That is a man which is going to be one. You have the fruit already in the seed. And this is from the second century, and this has been a, a position over the history of the Christian church. So we do not need to sacrifice uh, our young for the sake of career. Let's head over to Poland now. At the end of this month, on January the 27th, it is a Holocaust memorial. Uh, it is, in fact, the 20 75th anniversary of the liberation of Auschwitz concentration camp. Now, Auschwitz is the Nazi death camp where more than one million people perished, and it was liberated on the 27th of January in 1945. Let me play you this clip from a survivor, Dr. Edith Eager and I didn't know where I was, and everything was chaos, that my father looked at that and said, it can't be bad because we're just going to work and then we go home. And then we were separated. And I asked the inmate, when will I see my mother? And she pointed at the chimney and said, your mother is burning there. You better talk about her in past tense. There will be an official memorial event that will mark the 70th anniversary of the liberation and it will be held uh, at Auschwitz, I believe, in Poland. There will be up to 200 Holocaust survivors who were from Auschwitz, imprisoned there, uh, along with various heads of state from at least 22 countries, uh, Poland's president and the president of the World Jewish Congress. And it will end with the Kaddish. The Kaddish is the Jewish mourner's prayer. And I think this is a very important time that these things are put to the forefront of public attention again. Uh, a recent poll in the UK showed that 5% of UK adults do not believe the Holocaust took place, and 1 in 12 believe its scale has been exaggerated. So there was a lot of work to do in Holocaust education. Uh, uh, that was a poll of 2,000 people carried out by the Holocaust Memorial Day Trust. Uh, a similar poll in the US gave these results. Two-thirds of American millennials surveyed in a recent poll cannot identify what Auschwitz is. Now, that's a shocking... Uh, Two-thirds of, um, of millennials do not even know what Auschwitz is. 22% of millennials in the poll said that they haven't heard of the Holocaust or they're not sure whether they've heard of it. So this is something that I think in, a, in an age where we're seeing increasing anti-Semitism, increasing Holocaust denial and increasing uh, physical attacks against the Jews around the world, we still have Holocaust survivors from Auschwitz. We need to educate people about what happened here. And of course, uh, from a biblical point of view, as Christians, we need to stand with the covenant people, pray for their salvation, minister to them in physical things and spiritual things. Let me read to you just the first uh, verse of the uh, of the Kaddish, of the Mourner's Prayer. It says this, Glorified and sanctified be God's great name throughout the world, which he has created according to his will. 
May he establish his kingdom in your lifetime and during your days and within the life of the entire house of Israel speedily and soon. And say, Amen. And here's a clip of this being sung. Again, let's follow the example of the Apostle Paul. Let's pray for the people of Israel that they would come to know their Messiah. Let's stand against anti-Semitism, whether it's political or theological anti-Semitism. We need to arise up and make our voices heard on this issue. Now let's end on a resource that I like. I try and recommend a good resource, a debate, a book, something like that that I've listened to over the past few months. And the one I'm going to recommend to you today is a book by historian Tom Holland and its name is Dominion, The Making of the Western Mind. You may have heard about this book. Tom has been busy speaking about the book. On uh, He did a, a debate with the atheist A.C. Grayling about the impact of Christianity. That was a fascinating debate on Justin Brawley's Unbelievable show. He's done many interviews. Uh, he says this from the back of the book, Christianity is the most enduring and influential legacy of the ancient world and its emergence the single most transformative development in Western history. And this book is a fascinating look at the impact of Christianity in the Western world. Now Tom is not a Christian, he has a fondness for Christianity as he's come to realise that even the air he breathes, he says the water that, they, that we swim in is fundamentally Christian and he's referring to just the huge impact that we have that we live upon a Judeo-Christian scaffold in the West and people need to understand this. Let me read to you a quote by Tom Holland. He said this, today even as belief in God fades across the West, the countries that were once collectively known as Christendom continue to bear the stamp of the two millennia old revolution that Christianity represents. It is the principal reason why, by and large, most of us who live in post-Christian societies still take for granted that it is noble to suffer than to inflict suffering. It is why we generally assume that every human life is of equal value. In my morals and ethics I have learned to accept that I am not Greek or Roman at all, but thoroughly and proudly Christian. So get yourself a copy of that book and read it, it's fascinating. Well, that's all we have time for in this episode of the Global News Update. We could have done much more, but you'll have to wait for the next episode. I just want to remind you that if you haven't subscribed to the podcast, you uh, please do that on iTunes or Spotify or whatever podcast hoster you listen on. And if you have enjoyed and been blessed by the content, please leave us a five-star review and share it on your social medias. If you want more resources, um, please go to the website Theology and a apologetics.com or thomasfretwell.com if you want me to come and speak at your church you can use the contact form there uh, please connect with us on all social media platforms facebook and instagram um, but until next time thank you for listening <laughs>